there was a man who had finished preaching, went to the back of the building and, and was shaking hands as people were leaving the building. And as they left, they were commenting on his sermon and, and picking out different things that he had said in the sermon and, and commenting on that and saying that that was good. Well, one guy come out, came out. He hadn't paid attention to his sermon, and so I guess he just thought it would be a safe uh, venture to say, um, you know, that was a really good sermon that you preached on sin. You know, sin's one thing you just can't talk enough about. And as they got a little bit further... Um, you know, his friend turned around to him and said, um, he didn't talk about sin today, but maybe we should. Maybe we should talk more about sin than what we do. Um, I don't think that we can fully comprehend and appreciate uh, salvation if we don't understand that from which we have been saved. Um, Tell me what it is that sin does to me. Tell me how bad it is, really, really is. Tell me what I have been saved from, and I can appreciate my salvation more if I understand the nature and the the consequences of sin. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk about sin this morning, and you can go out this morning and say, hey, that's one subject you can't talk enough about, sin. Uh, because that's what we're going to do. But I, when we talk about sin, there are a lot of things you can do. We can talk about sins of commission, sins of omission, you know, the sins that we do and then the sins that uh, we commit because we don't do things we're supposed to do. We can talk about sins that come about because of our weaknesses and just our frailties and maybe our lack of knowledge. We're ignorant of God's word. And, and then there are high-handed sins, sins of rebellion. We know God says not to do it, but I don't care. I like it. I want to do it anyway. Um, but those aren't the kind of sins that I want to talk about this morning. I want to get really specific and, and focus in on one particular sin, and that is uh, a sin that is mentioned in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. If you have your Bible, open there to Galatians 6 and verse 1. The Apostle Paul said, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So here's what's going on. There there are people who have sinned. And he says, okay, guys, listen, there's some people that need your help. Those of you who are spiritual, you need to reach out to these people who are entangled, ensnared in sin. And so what I want you to do is I want you to go talk to them and reach out to them and try to bring them back. But be careful because you, in your very act and attempt at trying to bring someone back to Jesus, you can get involved in sin. You can be tempted. You can do the wrong thing. And it's that that I want to talk about this morning. Because as we try to reach out to people, I think that we're vulnerable to having the wrong head, the wrong spirit, the wrong attitude. And we ourselves can be guilty of sin as we try to help others who are guilty of sin. So let's look at um, three ways that we incorrectly deal with sin and commit sin ourselves in so doing. 
And then let's talk about a proper way that Jesus showed us in the very end. So here's the first thing. Sometimes we deal with sin, the sins of others, with callousness. We act like it's not a big deal. You know, in our effort to make people feel welcome, oh, you come here, we love people here. Come come on in. And in our effort to seem like we're accepting and welcome of all people, we, we downplay sin. We act like it's no big deal, and we should never have an attitude where sin is not a big deal. Now, I want people to know that I love them, and I want to reach out, and I want people to know that they are welcome here. But I don't want them to come away thinking we don't think sin's a big serious thing. It is. It costs people their soul. It severs their relationship with God. And I know we're all guilty of it, and it is a common thing. It happens every day. But I never want to leave the impression like it's no big deal. And you see, the church of Corinth had that problem, didn't they? 1 Corinthians 5. There's a man who has done something that even the Gentiles did not do. He had been having sexual relations with his father's wife. Paul learns about this and he writes and says, man, I can't believe you let this go on. You have in your own midst a man who is having relations with his father's wife. And he said, and you're okay with that. You're fine with that. You're not shamed by that. He said, it's time to do something about it. But see, here's a people that have become calloused to the awfulness of sin. And in their effort to act all spiritual and, you know, I don't know, too accepting or whatever, sophisticated. We're not shocked by things, you know. Uh, I, some naivete, you know, the, the, those those people get shocked. We're sophisticated and, oh yeah, so there's a guy who's having relations with his father's wife doesn't shock us. We're still children of God and acting as if everything's okay. And Paul says, it's not okay. You can't just go on and treat people's sins so callously. We need to be a place where people come who are messed up in sin. But they come here to get help, not encouragement encouragement to continue. Uh, that lifestyle of, of sin. We do the same thing. We pick sin, certain sins. We're, we're like Corinth. Maybe we've not picked the same sin, but let, let me give you an example. Do we ever deal with sin callously? No big deal. What about gossip? That's Jesus warns about him. The Apostle Paul talks about, and, and even in Second uh, Thessalonians says it's a, it's a sin worthy of being withdrawn from. Um, but this is a sin that we have made light of. In fact, it's become so commonplace, so accepted among us that we even freely, openly talk about engaging in this and, and joking about it. You know, we're going to gossip a while and, and, we're, and we're to the point where it exists and we can openly talk about it and we're not embarrassed or shamed because of what it is. That's what Corinth's problem was. Except theirs was with a sexual sin. They've come to be able to, I'm good with that. I I can deal with that. I'm okay with that. They were calloused 
to sin. And again, we've got to warn ourselves and guard against that. I, I want this church to be a place for sinners. But as they come in, I want them to understand that they need to quit sinning. And that sin is not something that we just gloss over and overlook. It it is a lifelong discipline to overcome and to try to be better and mature in becoming more and more like Jesus. The church in Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 20, Jesus said, you know, you got a, a lady there in your congregation. I'll call her Jezebel. Because I'll tell you what she's doing. She's teaching your members that it's okay to commit adultery, to commit fornication, probably in the idol worship that took place. And, and, and you're okay with it. You're allowing it to go on. You see, again, there's that callousness towards sin. We need to be a people who love sinners but hate sin. And, and we need to communicate that to those who are lost and entangled in sin. When they come here, they come here for help, not for acceptance as they are. Uh, I think they come here to, to be changed, to be challenged. We need to be that kind of people. So if we act like sin is no big deal, I think we involve ourselves in sin. Here's a second way that we deal with sin, and that is that we sometimes deal with sin with contempt. Um, we sometimes cop an attitude, like, oh, wow, you did what? Oh, did your mom and dad not teach you any better? I mean, what, are you kidding me? You did that? What we do with that is discourage people, and it's hypocrisy to the core, because we've all sinned. Your sin may be different than mine, and what you do that shocks me, I do things that probably shock other people. We, we can't cop an attitude when it comes to sin, a holier-than-thou attitude. We, we use that expression, holier-than-thou, people smug and chin up in the air and going around like they're holier-than-thou. You know, that's a biblical expression, Isaiah chapter 65 verse 5, Isaiah, or God, was describing the people, and he talked about how he had reached out to them time and time again, and they had rejected him, and he begins to go down through their list of sins, and then to top it all off, after all of this, you've rejected my help, you've sinned, and yet you have the nerve to tell other people, oh, don't touch me, stay away from me, I'm holier than you as if they would be defiled by coming in contact with sinful people. It's, it's arrogance. Showing contempt for another person who is struggling with sin is, is ungodly. And, and, well, you know, we had our children four years apart. And so usually there was a pretty big gap with our children in terms of learning. They learn and know a whole lot more than their next sibling. And so it provides opportunities for them to say, you mean you don't know that already? You, you mean you don't know what that means, what that word means? You don't know how to do that math problem? And, and so it, it's allowed them to go through that 
you know, I, I'm better than you. You don't know as much as me. And it's not a pretty thing to see, is it? Um, all of our kids have gone through that. Anne-Marie has no one left to do it to, except she does it to me. You don't know that math problem, how to fix that? So I'm the receiving end, or I get the receiving end of it now, but contempt. Romans chapter 1, Paul addresses those Gentiles, and and he calls them out for their sin. He just goes through a laundry list of sins, and then when he gets to chapter 2, and I'm sure those Jews were loving that. They were reading that letter that Paul wrote and said, yes, pour it on, Paul. Those Gentiles are a bunch of heathens. And then Paul starts chapter 2. Oh, and you, you're inexcusable too. You've been entrusted with the word of God. You have great advantages that they don't have. And yet you do the very same things that they do. And because of it, you, you know that God is blasphemed because of you. You're the children of God living like the Gentiles, and it causes God's name to be blasphemed. When we look at others with contempt because of their sin, people look at us and say, where's he come off with that kind of an attitude? I heard what he said last week. I saw what he did last week. He's, he's a sinner too. That's what it cre- creates. In Luke chapter 18, there's the parable that Jesus told about the Pharisee or the publican and the, the uh, sinner, the, the, the Pharisee and the sinner who went down to, to pray. And um, the Pharisee lifted up his head to God and he prayed and thanked God for all the good things the, the, that he had done with his life. And he went through a list of things that he, I'm glad I don't do this. And I'm glad I'm this. And boy, the upbringing I've had and all the advantages. And, and he's bragging on himself saying, oh, and I am so glad I'm not like one of those sinners, like, like this guy over here. And then there's that sinner who won't even lift his uh, eyes to heaven. And he beats his chest and he says, Father, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Jesus said, who do you think went home justified that day? The guy who acted like he had his act all together when really he doesn't. Or the guy who just said, forgive me, I'm a sinner. It, It was the latter. And it's still the latter. If we act toward people who are sinners with contempt, like I can't understand, what were you thinking? We are that man in Luke 18 who is full of pride and self-deception. We can sin when we cop an attitude toward sinners. Here's a third way that we sometimes sin in trying to help people out of sin. And it's by our condemnation. And when I say that, I'm not talking about the condemnation of sin, but I'm talking about the condemnation of the sinner. Could it be that in our condemnation of sin, that those who hear us don't see that we make any distinction between the sin and the sinner. 
when I oppose sin and when I come out and I, I stand against it and I preach against it and, and when I get on Facebook and I write these comments about things on Facebook that are sinful, when people read my truthful condemnations of sin, do they get the impression that there's room for the sinner in my life? If I don't make that message clear, I'm, I'm making a terrible mistake. Yes, we must condemn sin. But when I do so, I need to make it possible for those people who are involved in that sin to realize that there is room in the pew right next to me for them. And if I don't make that message clear, then, then I've really missed it. You know, there's a, an account in Luke chapter 9 where uh, James and John, uh, well, Jesus was going back to Jerusalem. And it says he set his eyes or his face toward Jerusalem. He was going there. And so uh, some disciples were sent ahead to uh, find a place for him to stay. And, and they went to a Samaritan city, and the Samaritans didn't like the Jews. And when they heard that he was going to Jerusalem, they said, no, nah, we don't want him here. You know, go somewhere else. And, and so it made James and John mad. What, what do you mean they told us we couldn't stay there? You're kidding me. What, just because we're Jews? Jesus, Jesus, here's what you need to do. Call down fire from heaven and destroy that whole place. They're being mean to us. And Jesus looked at him and said, guys, um, you don't know of what spirit you are. We've come not to destroy people, but to save people. And, And yeah, was it wrong for them to deny rest, lodging to Jesus? Well, sure it was. It was selfish and unkind. Let's kill them because of it. No, that was the wrong response. You see, they couldn't separate the sin from the sinner. And there's a lot of people that still can't. There are a lot of hot-button issues in our culture today that have raised the ire of many Christians, Bible-believing people. And they have been so disturbed by some of the current events that they're their condemnations of sin leaves little room for the sinner. And the sinner wouldn't know if they were welcome or not. That's the wrong approach to sin. In Jonah 3, Jonah was told, go to Nineveh and preach. You know he ran the other way. And then when he he tells us why, and sometimes we offer like some excuses. Why. Well, it was like going to Iraq during the Gulf War and preaching. It, that, there's nothing said about Jonah's courage or lack thereof. Here's what the text says why Jonah didn't want to go. It wasn't because he was afraid for his life. It was because he said, I knew that God was gracious and he would save them. He didn't want them to be saved. He didn't like them. He wanted them to perish. And do we have that attitude toward those? Have we become so abhorrent of sin that we want nothing to do with the people who do those sins? And if that's the case, then we have some reevaluation to take place. A person who is engaged in sin, if it's 
If they repent, they still struggle with the same temptations. Let's say they're brought about by some uh, correction in their life and determination to change, and they're going to stop their sinful activity, but it doesn't mean they still don't struggle or still aren't tempted. Do we have room for people in our churches who have repented but who still struggle with sin? I hope the answer to that would be yes. And then here's the fourth way that we can deal with other people's sins. And what I want you to see is this is, in our effort to help others, we sometimes get into trouble. In reaching out to those who are sinful, we sometimes just brush sin off and act callous to it. We sometimes treat it with contempt. Um, I can't believe you would do and sometimes we, we condemn the sinner along with the sin. Here's what we should do. We should be like Jesus and show compassion. In John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, there's the account of the, the woman who was taken in the very act of adultery. There's no question as to her guilt and innocence. She was guilty. They caught her in the very act and they drag her before Jesus And they're trying to put him on the spot. And they say, Jesus, you know what the law says? She's got to be stoned. Rome says you better not. What are you going to do? Who are you going to listen to? Oh, they thought they had him. And Jesus was a strict, he kept the law. He said, well, number one, you know, knowing the law, he said, okay, those who uh, have brought her to, where's the guy? Because they were both, they were both supposed to be punished and they didn't bring the guy. They just brought the girl. So there's a violation of the law. And then he said, Oh, and by the way, the law demands that those who are the witnesses are to cast the first stones, not me. So you who are without sin in this matter, cast the first stone. Go ahead. You get it started off. Nobody would do it. Eventually everybody just walks away. And Jesus is left with that woman, and he says to her, what? Go and sin no more. you got to quit this. You can't continue doing this. I don't condemn you in this. They, they've brought you here. They haven't followed the procedures. You're not to be condemned according to the law because they wouldn't follow through with what they were told to do. So you're not condemned this day, but I'm telling you, quit sinning. That's the response and the compassion that Jesus gave this woman. She was just a pawn in the hands of others. To Jesus, she was a soul. And he loved her and wanted her to be saved and encouraged her not to sin anymore. While during our lectureship, Bill Watkins uh, preached and he talked about passage from Luke chapter 7. And there's a story... When Jesus went to a Pharisee's house, and as they were there to eat, invited guests. Imagine you having guests over to your house, and company is there, and somebody breaks in, and it's this woman who stands on the corner of the street down here and doesn't have a very good reputation. She breaks into your house at your luncheon, And falls down at your feet or the man, the guest's feet and starts crying and making a scene and 
her tears are, she's washing, she's taking her hair and she's wiping his feet with her hair and anointing her with her, his, her tears. Everybody there was just like, oh, can you believe, what a breach of protocol. What a breach of etiquette. Who does this woman, what, what in the world is going on? <clears throat> Jesus looks at this man and he says, and this woman is down around his feet. And as she is weeping and doing all this activity at his feet, Jesus makes contact with this man and says, listen, do you see this woman? What kind of a question is that? Of course he sees this woman. He, she broke into his house. She's disrupted their supper. She's making a scene right there at his feet as he's talking to her. Do you see this woman? Well, yeah, I see her. But did he really see her? He saw a woman of a bad reputation. He saw a sinner. He saw a disruption to his luncheon. Jesus saw so much more than that. He saw a woman who was broken by sin and the baggage of sin. He saw a woman who was penitent. He saw a woman who was so devastated that she humbled herself in the presence, broke into this assembly, and and began to anoint Jesus' feet. Very humbling act. Jesus then said, your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus saw through the exterior and saw people. He saw souls who were eternity bound. The woman taken in adultery, society was willing to cast her aside, kill her. Jesus says, sin no more. You can do better than this. This woman that everybody wants thrown out of the house, bad, terrible reputation, Jesus is... You're forgiven. Uh, you know, your sins are forgiven. We need to show people compassion. When people come in here, they come in filthy. They come in dirty. Just like you came in. Filthy, sinful, separated from God. How do we reach out to people like that? It's not with callousness. It's not with contempt or condemnation. If we want to make a difference in their lives, we're going to have to be compassionate. And and may God help us to develop compassion for people. And when we do that, we will not only help them out of their sin, but we'll avoid ourselves being guilty of sin because of bad attitudes. If you're here this morning, you're not yet a child of God. If you're ensnared by sin and you want a way out, there are people here who love you and want to help you find that way out. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you do that in faith, God will forgive you. And if you're a child of God already and and unfaithful and you've gotten entangled in sin, listen, Come back. Humble yourself and say, I've messed up. I want to do better. And and I want prayers. And we'll pray with you. We won't condemn you. 
We won't hold, lift our nose up in contempt and say, how in the world could you? Because we've been there. We know what it's like. Uh, we share in the experience. What we want to do is show compassion because that's exactly what I want to receive when I mess up. If you need to respond to the invitation, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.